Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Thanks for listening. Happy Friday. Hopefully your weekend is off to a good start, at least on the East Coast. Uh, For those of you listening on the West Coast, you have no idea what you have to look forward to come Friday. So far, Friday is off to a great start, let me tell you. All right. uh, There are a plethora of legal issues in the news, and in my experience, there is uh, there's nobody that knows the legal system like an attorney, except maybe a former attorney who has also gone to prison. We are lucky enough to assemble three of my favorite former attorneys and ex-felons, uh, and we've discussed their cases before. I'm not going to get into the nitty-gritty of each of their individual cases, even though each one is a pretty interesting story in their own right. Uh, But um, instead, we'll just ask them to say uh, where they went to law school and which prison they spent the most time at. Uh, I'm joined in studio first by my friend Andrew McKenna, the deputy director of the National Council on Alcoholism and Drug Dependence in Westchester and the author of the book, uh, great memoir. I was just recommending it to some people earlier tonight. Sheer Madness. Andrew, law school and prison, please. Albany Law School of Union University and uh, two prisons, um, Elkton, Ohio and uh, Petersburg, Virginia. Excellent. A very expansive response. All right. And again, you don't have to name every prison because it's only a, a four-hour program. Just the prison that you spent the most time on. Also very pleased to welcome uh, a fellow that's represented me on a lot of election law-related issues, a fellow that's been uh, very well-regarded as an attorney and very, very well-known in the New York area, Richard Luthman. Uh, Richard, law school and prison, please. Uh, New York Law School, and I'll say uh, Brooklyn Metropolitan Detention Center. All right. Uh, And, uh, of course, Dom Crispino, who uh, last time he was here joined us in studio, but apparently the legal system has some some restrictions on uh, what he's able to do at uh, 2 o'clock in the morning on the East Coast. We certainly understand that. Dom, um, law school in prison, please. Good morning, Frank. Uh, Georgetown University Law Center uh, and Clinton... Uh, correctional facility annex in Dannemora. All right. Okay. Well, look, I, I'm going to defer to you, Dom, as uh, I think probably the best law school in the bunch, not that I'm much of an authority uh, on law schools. Uh, the Supreme Court has been making uh, a whole lot of waves, and uh, they just wrapped up their term 
probably the most controversial and consequential term the Supreme Court has had in at least 20 years, possibly 50 years. Uh, give me your take on um, we've covered this abortion decision in the in the Hobbs case a great deal. Uh, we've covered the uh, gun, the concealed carry law as it relates to New York a great deal. Give me your take on a, a subject that we haven't covered all that much, what the Supreme Court did on the EPA and what that portends for the future future of federal regulation. Okay, Frank, and uh, I, I believe that that may be the most consequential case that the, the court has decided in terms of federal power in a long time. Uh, it's West Virginia versus EPA, and what the court has done is it's taken a stranglehold now on the administrative state. You know, we have government agencies that that regulate, provide rules. They're really the guts of this huge federal bureaucracy. And what happens is Congress will pass laws, like the Superfund Act or whatever it may be, and these agencies bring it to life. Um, So what the court has done here is said, listen, you agencies are going way too far in what you're doing with these things. So they came up with something called the Major Questions Doctrine. So in in an area of regulation where it's a major question, these agencies can't go off on their own now. So they want uh, the, the... uh, both the Obama administration and the Biden administration now uh, wanted to go further in terms of uh, regulating uh, electrical power uh, under the, uh, to, you know, with this so-called climate change. And the court has said, no, no, meeting this statute, you do not have the power to do this administratively. Now, this is a, this is a problem that also goes further than that. When you see Biden issues executive orders, Trump issued executive orders, Obama issued executive orders, you know, that's – they're trying to to do stuff that they don't have the power to do. This instance here has been a long time in coming. Uh, There's administrative law where they've deferred to these agencies for over 40, sometimes 50 years now, and they've been called to task. It's the, I believe, the most consequential decision of that court in this in this term. Wow, uh, Richard, let me uh, invite you to comment on whatever Dom uh, said there. Uh, give me your reaction to the to the decision, and what do you think this portends for the future of uh, executive power and administrative power going forward? Well, uh, Dom is spot on. Uh, the there are, there are other issues in that case besides the major questions doctrine which relate to uh, separation of powers and relate to states' rights as well. Uh, a big one is that you know, Congress makes the law, not the, not the administrative states. So there has to be uh, a relationship or, or a, a textual commitment uh, to what these administrative bodies are trying to do. Uh, so they just can't go out on their own with an unfettered discretion and, and promulgate rules, uh, especially when it affects states. And West Virginia... Uh, was really affected because West Virginia is it's a big coal state, and it's a, it's a, 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 a that's a lot of its economy. These these new rules that were being uh, put into place by the EPA actually penalized that this non any non green energy sources, and there was really no congressional uh, stamp of approval for that. And uh, so this is going to have a, a huge effect for uh, how how these administrative agencies. Can can do things uh, without any uh, any endorsement by Congress, and what it can do when it really affects states, and it's going to carry well beyond the EPA. It's going to carry on all throughout uh, any area of administrative law. 
uh, administrative rulemaking. All right, Andrew, uh, it's going to be an awfully boring hour if the three of you guys agree <laughs> on everything. Uh, give me a little dissent here. Well, Do we I'll, have any, any dissents? I'll say this. This uh, term has probably had more to do with separation of powers and reining people in and, and having the different branches stay in their lane. I'll, I'll go back to, to overturning Roe v. Wade. The, the court said it perfectly. That was a court legislating. The 1972 opinion uh, was awful in Roe v. Wade. And as I said when we spoke before, it was very, very easy for Alito to just slice that opinion up, regardless of what you agree with. And same situation with the EPA ruling. This is uh, a super conservative court. They don't like big government. And they're really reining people in and reining the different branches in uh, just as they should be, just as as the Constitution provides. So I I think it's a good thing in a sense. Uh, Richard, let me uh, get your take on what we're seeing in Georgia. There's been a lot made of some subpoenas issued from a grand jury in Georgia to some people close to uh, President Trump as part of the investigation into President Trump's conduct after the uh, 2020 election. Now, uh, Lindsey Graham, one of the people that has been subpoenaed, says he's not going to comply with this subpoena in Georgia. Our colleague uh, on WABC, Rudy Giuliani, has also been subpoenaed. Whether or not you agree with with the scope of what this Georgia grand jury is doing, is this a wise thing that you would advise people to just disregard subpoenas? Well, it it goes to a question about legitimacy of of courts and legitimacy of of, uh, law enforcement and, and investigations. To a certain extent, we're seeing a lot of politically motivated uh, issues here, especially now that we have a, a, you know, this election year in 2022, but 2024 is clearly looming. So it, it, it's coming to a point where they're, they're, they're politically convened grand juries. Uh, we talked before about uh, about how in New York you had uh, Letitia James talk about we're going to get Trump, we're going to get him. Well, Georgia, you have kind of the same thing. You, ha- you have uh, it's not not Democrats, but you have actually uh, uh, centrist Republicans or, or non-Trump Republicans, non-MAGA Republicans that are in control over there, and uh, aided by by the Democrats. Uh, and you know, they're, they're I guess they're going to try to make life di- life difficult for for Trump and his allies. The, the problem that they have, I think, is uh, and anybody that's seen Two Thousand Mules. Uh, you know, I think Stacey Abrams is, is might be one of the biggest uh, losers if they really start digging into 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 that election. Uh, and if and if they give Trump a, a well, into the 2020 election or the 2018 election, the, the 2020 election, the 2020 election, the, the, the issue with this subpoena. It, uh, is that they're they're asking about stuff that that that, that Trump was doing? Well, let, and, let's put aside the the two thousand mules thing because we're going to do a whole separate show on, on that, and uh, there's a lot of controversy over that. But just get, getting to the legality of what Lindsey Graham is doing here in disregarding the subpoena, understanding that you don't think that the uh, grand jury in Georgia is doing the right thing, is it okay for people, senators or not, to just disregard subpoenas from a grand jury? Oh no, they they have the power to haul them in. That that's the thing. The question becomes at that point, 
uh, you know, it, 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 it becomes a political, a politically motivated prosecution defense. That that's really what it becomes. Is there an authority uh, to bring somebody in? And they could always go and they and arrest and arrest them. They they, they the, the power of uh, uh, of uh, you know validly issued subpoena when when somebody uh, you know thumbs their nose at at, at the court uh, or at at a at a, at a subpoenaing, uh, subpoenaing authority. Then it's uh, they always have the power to bring to bring them in, and That's they have the power. In, not to interrupt you, Richard, but great point. And they have the power to also Graham has the power to try to quash the subpoena. And was he within his rights to discuss uh, with state officials the processes and what procedures around administering elections? And it, his attorneys say that they do, but you know he has to have that adjudicated, ruled on by a court and if he doesn't then he gets hauled in so is it a good idea generally not if you get a subpoena you show up but he's the chairman of the senate judiciary committee and i think there's a lot more historically at stake here dom crispino uh putting aside the politics of it uh, how do you see the legality of this situation in georgia playing out Oh, what, specifically on the subpoena yeah the, well i mean grand? the grand jury investigation in general and the subpoena specifically well, the uh, subpoena specifically, uh, I mean, it, it's a state court subpoena uh, issued out of a county. So, I mean, Graham can, can sit there and wait. I mean, it's obviously, as the guys indicated, uh, they, they're moving to quash it. He's doing the right thing, which means he's saying it's not legitimate. Um, but, you know, they, they, if they don't do anything to, to uh, enforce it beyond their boundaries, I mean, it's a, it's a state court in Georgia. They'd have to get a state court where he is to to authenticate it, to get him over there in the first place. But how that's going to play out, listen, eventually he's going to show up. Inevitably it'll happen. I mean, I, I don't think that the uh, the scope of the investigation, although it's politically motivated, obviously, uh, I, don't, I don't think that it's, uh, it's so frivolous that uh, he wouldn't be made to show up. Um, and with regard to the investigation itself, I mean, listen, we all know that uh, prosecutors could indict a ham sandwich. If they wanted to indict Trump, I mean, he, he said some stuff that's off the reservation. I mean, clearly. Uh, if they wanted to indict him, they could. The question here is not whether they could, but whether they should. Um, and, that, and that's a political question at that point. So um, we, the, the world waits at this point to see what happens. That they do. All right. Uh, we're going to continue with uh, Andrew McKenna, Dom Crispino, and Richard Luthman in just a moment. If you have questions, uh, keep in mind everybody on this panel has been disbarred, except for me, who's never been admitted to the bar. So uh, I would not take any legal advice from the four of us. But uh, if you have questions, uh, these guys certainly have opinions about them. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. Frank 
Joining me for the hour, Richard Luthman, Dom Crispino, and Andrew McKenna. All three of them happen to be uh, ex-attorneys and ex-felons, and uh, all three very experienced in the ways of the law uh, from both perspectives. Uh, gentlemen, while uh, while I have the three of you here, let me get you to weigh in on uh, a crime that has generated a, a great deal of interest and a lot of uh, attention around the country. And this is this bodega owner that was attacked, that was stabbed when his store was attacked, and he subsequently shot his, this is out of New York City. He subsequently shot one of his uh, one of his attackers. He's now charged and killed him. Uh, he's now charged with murder one. He is out on bail. It seems like the community has sort of rallied uh, to his his defense. Even Mayor Eric Adams, uh, who uh, and we'll get to this in just a minute, has not really been reluctant to comment on a whole host of legal issues in this city. Even he's saying that uh, essentially that uh, he, this fellow shouldn't be picked on. Uh, Andrew McKenna, give me your take on this case on this case involving this bodega owner who's now charged with homicide one and now out on bail. Well, I think it's reasonable to say he feared for his life. There's no indication this was racially motivated or a hate crime of any type. And it's a tragedy. I I believe people are fed up with the increase in crime. And that goes for, you know, the law enforcement to bodega owners. And the uptick is, is alarming. The point is, he didn't know what the next step was. He didn't know whether, let's assume he didn't know whether he was going to live or die. And yes, he brought a gun to a knife fight. And, you know, that'll be the issue. I believe that's probably what's going to be litigated. But it's a tough thing. It's it's an indication that people, I believe, are, are fed up with crime and not feeling protected, not feeling safe. Dom, it was interesting uh, to hear Governor Patterson on the Cats at Night show yesterday saying uh, that he doesn't think there's a jury in New York City that's ever going to convict this guy of murder one. I, I know you've been charged at various times by the Manhattan DA's office, not the current DA. But, uh, I mean, currently, uh, the DA Alvin Bragg has got to realize that this is going to be a tough conviction for him. Why would he be seeking such a tough charge here in murder one? Why not seek something, I don't know, reckless endangerment or murder two or uh, involuntary manslaughter or something else? Well, it is murder too, Frank, because in New York, murder one, I think, is uh, uh, killing a police officer or a multiple homicide. The catch-all in New York for everything else uh, above manslaughter is murder two, whether it be reckless or intentional. That's what the cops wrote it up as, and that's what they carried it over. The one, the one lesson that I think we're going to take from this case is that I, 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 I think it's true that uh, no juror would convict them. However, the law in the state of New York is a horror show on the law of justification, which is what we call self-defense. Everybody else calls it self-defense. New York calls it justification. The the Bernard Getz case established a a two-pronged test for self-defense. You have to subjectively believe 
that you are in imminent danger of, of losing your life. And B, then objectively it's looked at from a reasonable person. So it's not only what you believe, it's what a jury sees as a reasonable person. Now, the DAs easily manipulate that. Self-defense claims are very rarely won in New York. Uh, in the, you ask me in this instance, it should be clear that he, the guy does not, is not convicted. But the, the fallback position on any time there's something like this is to charge the highest crime, mm. which would be murder, murder in the second degree, which carries between 15 to life to 25 to life in state prison. And that's what they do. Now, usually what happens in a case like that is uh, he's not charged yet specifically because they have not indicted him yet. So the next step will be presenting to the case to the grand jury. Whether he will actually be charged with that crime going forward and have to go to trial after an indictment will depend upon how the DA sells the case to the grand jury. Um, you know, many times they'll have police shootings in New York, and it looks questionable. Well, a lot that's the same thing. It's how the case is sold to that grand jury, how they're charged, how the evidence is presented, the tenor of the presentation. So this, this bodega guy... <laughs> is in the hands of Alvin Bragg and his staff of how they want to do it. If they want to really charge him, they can indict him because the law is murky. But they may not want to because the, uh, the, the political backlash from that might be too much of him at this point, considering how the bad start that Bragg had in the first place. Richard, how do you see this? Uh, I think that uh, political backlash is, is, is huge. If, if you saw the what the, the early... Uh, evidence that came out here. Uh, the, I, I believe that the, the girlfriend of the guy who was killed actually went into the bodega beforehand and, and pulled a knife on the bodega owner, left, and then the boyfriend comes back, and, and the, the bodega owner knows that, that, that uh, he, has, he has a weapon, that he has a knife, uh, because it, uh, it was taken out before. Uh, I think it's very clear it's a self-defense claim. I think that uh, – uh, I think that the the issue is that uh, they ha they have a, an association of bodega owners, and of all the groups that they that they contacted, I heard that today they contacted the NRA to try to find some help for bodega owners because they feel like uh, uh, Bragg and 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 uh, and Adams and and uh, the NYPD and the DAs aren't protecting bodega owners when you have a guy who's got a rap sheet a mile long, uh, and he's the one who's being quote unquote protected by the system. And this bodega owner who's trying to protect his life and his livelihood ends up in Rikers Island. So I, I think that the, the political issues here are going to make it very, very difficult for, for, for this case to be prosecuted as murder, too, or prosecuted really in any way, shape or form uh, for, for, a, for a big charge. And uh, Richard, you know, I alluded to Eric Adams speaking out on uh, behalf of the uh, bodega owner's uh, defense. He's all he's really not been hesitant to speak out on any crimes that are taking place in New York City. The police had arrested uh, the person that had purportedly assaulted Rudy Giuliani. And essentially, Eric Adams loudly proclaimed that the D.A., somebody that I know you have a lot of experience with, uh, should have been uh, charging Giuliani for filing a false police report. Putting aside the merits of these individual cases, the bodega owner or the supermarket incident involving Rudy Giuliani, is it wise for the mayor, the guy that picks the police commissioner, the guy that appoints all the criminal court judges, the guy that 
that uh, the police department reports to. Is it wise for the mayor to be commenting on all these high-profile criminal cases? Well, he he basically commented and didn't comment on, on this case. If, if you saw what he said about Bragg, he, he kind of alluded to the fact that, that Bragg had his, his own uh, prosecutorial discretion and didn't go so far as he did with the Giuliani uh, case and with some of the other cases. So in a certain, uh, to a certain extent, he, he, had, he wasn't as, as, as vocal as to what, what, what should be done with this case. That being said, uh, you know, he does uh, comment a lot about, uh, you know, pending uh, criminal matters or, or issues of the day. Now, the, the question becomes, is, is he the guy that, the, that should be doing it? Well, he's the mayor of the city of New York, uh, and 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 at the end of the day, a lot of the, the decisions are 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 political decisions that are being made. Uh, so you know, he he gets he ru- he runs the risk of putting his foot in his mouth, which he's done several times already. But you know, I I, I you know I don't see him. Uh, I, you know, I, I don't in, in in a case like this and some of the other cases where he's weighed in. I think he's he's uh, he's he's well within his rights to say what he said. But is he influencing the decisions of prosecutors or police officers, investigators underneath him? In the Marine Corps, we call it command influence. A commanding officer is basically the convening authority in a criminal case in the military, meaning they essentially are the person who makes the decision whether to charge. They're not lawyers. They're not prosecutors. But then they're supposed to stay out of it. And we saw the same thing with, with, with Clinton when he was in office and the different issues. Um, my gut tells me that he should st- stand back. Number one, he won't put his foot in his mouth, which we've seen him do from time to time, but really not influence these decisions for the people that are underneath him. That's yeah, I should mention also that Andrew is uh, not only a Marine Corps veteran, but a veteran of uh, of the Air Force. Dom, uh, what about you? Uh, any 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 comment on the mayor being so bold as to uh, comment on ongoing criminal investigations? <laughs> bold. He puts his finger up in the air. He saw the which way the wind was going, and uh, you know he wants to be part of it. I mean that's that's Eric Adams, isn't it? I mean, it, it when you really break it down, and. Uh, he, yeah, he might be trying to influence it because that's the way the uh, the popular opinion is. I mean, in this case, I have no problem with it. In other cases, uh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Um, but yeah, that's um, I'm, I'm laughing at that one. <laughs> All right, we're going to take your calls next. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Dom Crispino is here. Andrew McKenna is here. Richard Luthman is here. This is the other side of midnight. A whole bunch of other legal issues to tackle in mere moments. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano, joined uh, for our legal panel by Andrew McKenna, Dom Crispino, and Richard Luthman, uh, three ex-lawyers and ex-felons. Uh, by the way, I want to uh, correct something that I didn't realize I said earlier, but uh, apparently in that bodega incident, I said that the bodega owner had shot uh, the person that he killed. He had not. He had stabbed the person that he killed. 
ultimately, for the person that's dead, you're still just as dead, whether you were stabbed or you're shot. But uh, I want to clarify that. Uh, 800-848-9222. I'm going to get to your questions in just a second. Uh, But I want to get uh, you gentlemen to collectively comment on uh, the latest when it comes to Derek Chauvin. This is the officer in the George Floyd case. He's now been sentenced to an additional 21 years in a uh, federal civil rights case for the uh, death of George Floyd. Uh, Richard, I'll begin with you on on this one. What was your take? Uh, Were you expecting this? Is this a little too much, given the fact that he had already been previously sentenced for causing George Floyd's death, or is this about par for the course? Uh, It's not. It's going to change a couple things for him. Uh, They they did a deal that he's going to get the same amount of time concurrent with with the the state and the feds, but he's going to end up going to a federal prison, uh, which for him is going to mean more time because in the feds you you end up doing – uh, like 85% of your time as opposed to the state where it's, you know, 60 or 65, I think, in, 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 uh, where he was. So that's one issue. Number two, because he's got the, the state case uh, in, in the feds, he's going to have something called the detainer. And that means that his security level is going to be a little bit higher. Uh, the claim is that he's going to be a little bit safer in, in the federal system. Uh, but I, I, I can't see how he's going to be safe anywhere uh, because he's he's you know he's going to be a target no matter where he goes. I think that he was in, in segre- segregation uh, segregation or in uh, protective custody where he was in in, in Minnesota. I think he's going to have to be there uh, in federal prison too, unless he's in a. I don't think he's going to qualify for to go to a a camp because of that detainer. Uh, so even if he's in a low, you're going to have guys that are going to want to take a shot at him and uh, and and uh, go after him put it that way. Andrew, I would add too that he has nowhere to go once he goes to prison. He it's not like he can try to get in with the AB, the, the Aryan Brotherhood, or a white supremacist group, uh, or you know white nationalist group. Nobody's going to want him. No one's going to want to touch him. So he has really literally protection probably from nobody. And, you know, I was in isolation. I was in the shoe, special housing unit, the whole whatever you want to call it. Is that because you had been a prosecutor? They were concerned about retribution against you or were you there for some other reason? I got in a fight. Uh So (laughs) um, I can hear you laughing. But it's – but it's going to be a miserable existence, you know, state or Fred. And, and Fed is no safer by any means than, than state prison, uh, especially where he's going. So um, I don't think I think it was normal to answer your question, Frank. I think it was normal that uh, the feds charged him with the civil rights violations and crimes um, and they ran a concurrent. He will have the detainer. Um, but, you know, that'll that might apply after he does probably 80 you know, maybe 90% of the sentence. Um, and then the question becomes, you know, could he ever go to a camp mm. within the federal system? And with violent crime, I don't believe he could anyhow. Uh, Dom, your take on this Derek Chauvin case. The odd thing about this is that they had offered, uh, they had worked out a deal, I think, previously. And I think it called for about the same kind of sentence and the judge rejected it, I think. And now we, now we end up imposing something that's, you know, pretty much the same. Uh, my head spins sometimes with this stuff. Uh, yeah, I agree with the guys. He's going to have a, a difficult time. I mean, uh, his, his, his best outlook would be being totally segregated. And, you know, that's even sometimes when you're segregated, things happen. So it's going to be a rough road for the next 
uh, what do you got, 21, the next uh, almost 18 years for him? Mm. Uh, that's for sure. Uh, that's for sure. All right, a lot of folks have, have a lot of questions for you. We're going get, to get to as many questions as we can. 800-848-9222. That's uh, 1-800-848-9222. Nine two uh, two two. Uh, I'm going to go to folks in the order that they have been holding. Uh, it looks like Bill in Plainview has been waiting the most patiently. Hello, Bill. Hi, Frank. I thought you were Curtis. I almost went to sleep. <laughs> but <laughs> I must say, one of your guests said, "Does Trump have the right to discuss? Don't we all have the right to discuss and talk?" Um, yeah, I'll let anybody that wants to answer that answer that. I mean, I, I don't of think. Course, uh, um, of course he, of, of course he does, but of course, you know, but you know, what, what, he's he's actually got diarrhea of the mouth and has always had it, and he he's his own worst enemy. He puts his foot in his mouth on a daily basis, and uh, he's he's talked himself into a lot of these investigations. So, I mean, I, so I that uh, right to discuss and talk no, about what course. you want. No, that's his right. Okay, because right you made it sound like I, it was a crime. Like, he doesn't have the right to discuss, but of course he does. I didn't make the comment, first of all, but he has the right to discuss anything he wants to. Yeah, I don't know that anybody here said that, uh, Bill, because I don't I don't remember hearing that. But then again, I don't remember hearing myself say that the bodega owner shot his assailant instead of stabbed him. So uh, my memory is not to be trusted. 800-848-9222. Tom is in the Bronx. Hello, Tom. Hey, yeah, well, you, you changed the issue with the... Um, Bodega guy. I was going to say the only issue he would have had is if he had a license or not, because it was definitely been justified in my uh, view. And the two men that are with you, uh, did they ever answer the question? Three. Okay, did anybody ever answer the question as to whether the um, subpoena was legit? I mean, can the congressman, are they immune from him? Or can they be have to answer subpoenas too. Yeah, so gentlemen, my understanding of what you guys all said was that uh, the subpoena is just as binding on Lindsey Graham as it is for everybody else. Is that right? Yeah, they, yes. they have they have the authority to to issue a subpoena and he has the he has the right to go in and to get it quashed, to challenge it. Uh, now there's no uh, real a uh, uh, privilege, you know, there's no privilege for for sitting senators that, that that's going to uh, to uh, go beyond a hardship or anything like that, that he can bring under, under state law. I don't think there's anything like like an executive privilege or anything like that that that, that he's going to be able to rely on. So uh, it's going to be he's going he's to try to quash the subpoena uh, uh, under under normal terms. Uh, Mike is in St. James. Hello, Mike. Uh, Congressman Schiff's investigation down in Washington. What can he do to Donald Trump at the? outcome of this investigation. Is that the January 6th committee or is that a separate investigation? January 6th. Right. Okay. Well, it's not just Adam Schiff. Uh, he's not the chairman of that committee. But um, uh, but no, uh, my understanding, and I'll let these guys uh, for add further, but they have no prosecutorial power. I mean, I guess if they want, they could hold him in contempt of Congress the way they're holding Peter Navarro in contempt of Congress. Beyond that, gentlemen, even if uh, all the members of the committee were really upset with President Trump, I mean, they can't impeach him a third time, can they? I'd like to see it. <laughs> <laughs> no, they can't. <laughs> Doesn't mean they won't. <laughs> All right. Eight, eight. The, the, Go ahead. The, the big issue there is that uh, it, it, what you're seeing in, in that committee, you would never see in a courtroom. 
there, there, there's no hearsay uh, rules on that committee. You know, some of the testimony that's that, that's given is is not uh, testimony that you'd ever hear in a court of law. So uh, you, know, you have to you have to uh, you have to look at it that way. It's really a, a political uh, show trial, if anything. That's what, it's a produced event. Right, with no no not, teeth nothing. whatsoever. Sorry, Richard, but yeah, yeah. You know. Diane in New Jersey. Hello, Diane. Yeah, and now for something completely different. Uh, why, why is it so hard to sue a dentist? Like I, I, I got injured by a dentist. I have like a half of my like like the whole my whole lip and and my teeth are still numb. And and I couldn't find a, a lawyer that would even lawyers that specialize in that. Nobody wanted to help me with that. Is there a, is, why is it so hard to sue dentists? Richard, you've had some unorthodox lawsuits in your time as an attorney. Any <laughs> any thoughts on that one? Well, you, you have a, a, a lot of issues uh, with the state law. I don't know what state you said you were in New York, New Jersey, but, New but, Jersey. but a lot of times, a, yeah, a lot of times there's, there's protections uh, for these uh, professional groups, uh, especially doctors, dentists, and so you need to have uh, what's called an, uh, an affidavit of merit that's that's put mm-hmm. in with that's in addition to uh, you know the, your allegations that you make. So you have to get somebody yeah. to sign off and say that there there is an issue. Uh, usually, somebody in that profession, and it's hard to, hard to get that done a lot of times. Right. Uh, and there's also, uh, you know, you have a statute of limitations. You only have a, a short amount of time uh, to bring a case. That could be, you know, three years in most cases where you're injured. But a lot of times, it's shorter for malpractice. Sometimes it's, it's it can be two years, or it could be uh, two years and six months, or it could be a different amount of time depending on on what happens. So there are a lot of state law protections that 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 kind of stack it. Uh, in favor of uh, the medical professionals. Uh, anything you want? A fact. Anything you want to add there, Dom? No, I, I, I think you hit it right on the head. I mean, there there's special statutes that protect them and special standards set for them. I guess they don't want to make it easy to sue dentists and doctors. All right, uh, a couple more questions, and then I have a few other issues I want to go over with you guys. Uh, Chris is in the Catskills. Hello, Chris. Epic Radio, that is a segue to my question. So can a person who has legal standing to file a wrongful death lawsuit against an oral surgeon, can they file that suit pro per in the state of New York? The law has been changed recently in New York where it's three and a half years from two and a half years. This was just passed recently. Uh, Dom, I'll begin with you if you want to handle that one. Uh, I'm not aware of the recent changes. Uh, I, I believe you can always file a case pro se as long as you meet all the other legal requirements in pleading. If you don't, you'll get a motion to dismiss and they'll send you on your way. So, um, of course, you could file on your own. I, I see no reason why not. But I'm not giving advice here. Yeah, well, and I want to give... – go ahead. <laughs> can I it ask sounds like you have a surrogate's court issue too, uh, that you said that it was a wrongful death case. So that sounds like you're going to have to have an estate uh, opened up, and you have to be the person that has the authority to open up the estate. So you have an issue yeah, there. Yeah. So, so legal standing. Yeah. So I have that. But um, so the other question I have: Do you have to file the case in the county where the where they the medical practice was, or can you file the case in the in the Supreme Court of the county where the um, decedent resided? Well, that that becomes a venue issue, and that that that's uh, that's going to be fact specific based upon 
uh, whether or not uh, there's a hook for that uh, that 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 person, the the doctor, the dentist in that in that in that other county. You know, the case isn't going to get thrown out, you know, of the court, but it might get transferred to another county if it's more appropriate to be in another county or the county you select doesn't have the proper hook. All right. Thank you, Chris. Uh, 800-848-9222. We're going to continue. Andrew McKenna, Dom Crispino and Richard Luthman. I want to stress, by the way, that um, you people should not necessarily call with specific legal questions about their specific situation. I mean, that's a good thing to consult with your own attorney about or, um, you know, any of the many uh, pro se legal services that are out there. The the last thing I would suggest is if you have a legal question pertaining to your own situation is to call a radio show at uh, uh, 10 to 3 in the morning and ask three people that have been disbarred. That is a surefire way to have a case <laughs> not go your way. Uh, we're going to continue uh, – with three of my it is it is, a, it is a ask Frank Morano anything nice. that's right that's true eight hundred eight four eight nine two 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 this is the other side of midnight straight ahead the other side of midnight it's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Uh, for the hour, joined by Andrew McKenna, Richard Luthman, and uh, Dominic Crispino. All three happen to be uh, former attorneys and ex-felons. Uh, interesting story, and it seems like so many of the legal stories we deal with uh, touch upon drugs, and this one literally deals with uh, touching upon drugs. Evidently, according to this story in The Defector, cops are having literal panic attacks upon encountering fentanyl uh, because they believe they're overdosing on it. Uh, Andrew, you've been uh, very active in trying to help people with their battles with addiction. What's the story here? Uh, Are cops actually overdosing on fentanyl just by doing police work? Well, we all agree that cops have, you know, incredibly dangerous jobs. They're subjected to things day in and day out that we really probably couldn't even get our minds around. But... I've talked to physicians, I've talked to scientists about this and the effects of fentanyl, and you cannot walk into a room where fentanyl is present, or if it gets on your hands or your shoulder or your foot, you cannot overdose that way. You can't. I I believed it myself when I first started hearing about it. When I was in Boston, it was a big issue, and... Nobody can make sense of it, why it's happening. That, that, but it, other than that the individual police officers are getting worked up, they're getting panicked, they're under an incredibly stressful situation, maybe have had you know, someone dying in front of them from an overdose, and that's taking over. I would love to know that it's something other than that, that, that that's not the case, because it just shows how difficult their jobs are. But no, there's no evidence that... that Law enforcement officers can can overdose if they come into contact with fentanyl. Dumb. Yes. Uh, anything you want to add there? <laughs> want to argue with me? <laughs> I'm not. I'm not going to argue with Andrew. I mean, he's uh, he knows his stuff, and um, 
uh, might, from what I understand, you would have to like submerge your 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 like hand in it for like like half a day or something in order for it to get into your pores because it, it can't enter through the pores. But I, you know, I, I won't discount the fact that you might have somebody who's highly sensitive, and it might there might have been one person one time who was a cop who was highly sensitive, you know, and right. And inhaled it, and and you know that's that's your we used to call it in law school the eggshell plaintiff, you know. Right. Yeah, Richard. Nothing you want to add there, Richard, right? Well, I think it's it could be collect, collective hype, uh-huh. in, in the sense in the sense that uh, uh, the 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 lethal dose of fentanyl I think is something like six uh, the, the the equivalent of six uh, uh, grains of salt. And so you, you you have a lot of that stuff out there in the media and the heuristics of it and and a lot of that and yeah it becomes an, an anxiety type thing but I I, I think that that the fentanyl it's deadly uh, but I think the deadliness of it to someone that's not using uh, is is being played gotcha. up. Gotcha. All right, uh, we only have about a minute and a half left, but I want to get you guys to comment quickly on this story in the Atlantic about the historic low in murder clearances by law enforcement. Uh, Dom, let me begin with you here. Does this mean fewer murders are being solved? Uh, well, I mean, we have a lot. We have a lot more murders than we did sixty years ago, so it doesn't mean fewer are being solved, but proportionately. Uh, the statistics from 60 years ago may be questionable. Uh, they were probably just clearing stuff uh, willy-nilly at that point. Uh, they, they believe that statistics from 1980 and after are more accurate. Um, there's there's probably some some argument that perhaps there's some maybe amount of police incompetence that's involved. I don't know. It's, it's a tough one. All right. We're going to have to actually make that the last word. Uh, check out Andrew McKenna's book. It's Sheer Madness. It's available on Amazon. Richard, in five seconds, give me your Substack if people want to subscribe to your Substack. Lutman.substack.com. Gentlemen, let's do this again soon. Thank you all. Thank you, Frank. All right. Until until next hour, keep asking questions.